near sideline. Trinaman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown, Cougars! On the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! The voice of the Cougars is talking BYU sports with the players and coaches past and present who've made you rise and shout. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Good evening, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside BYU Radio Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo for tonight's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Our weekly get-together with BYU sports personalities we'd like to get to know a little better. I always look forward to this hour every Wednesday evening, and I hope you also enjoy the chance to hear from some of the people who've made uh, BYU sports so enjoyable over the years. Very happy you're tuning in tonight, uh, whether live or on demand. And if you're listening us, uh, listening to us live, you're joining us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU or the BYU Radio app. If you'll be catching us on demand, you're using the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast on all major podcast platforms or via podcast from the Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org, at which this program is also archived on a weekly basis. So plenty of ways to listen to us live and on demand. Coming up on tonight's show, it's a National Football League night as a former Cougar safety and current Kansas City Chiefs standout Daniel Sorensen joins us from KC. And former BYU defensive lineman and long snapper John Denny calls in from Miami. He's a Dolphin. John will this weekend mark another Miami Dolphins milestone. We'll talk about that in our conversation, which is featured in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment, sponsored by BYU alumni. We'll also catch up with the coach of the nation's seventh-ranked NCAA women's volleyball team, Heather Olmstead. Her Cougars have been rolling on the road for the most part, but they're back home for big matches against Portland and Gonzaga this weekend. That's our lineup for this evening. We start tonight's show by visiting with one of the best stories BYU football has produced in quite some time. Back in 2008, Daniel Sorensen came to BYU as a lightly recruited defensive back who came to Provo in large part because he had a cousin on the team. After a freshman season that saw him play linebacker as an injury replacement, two years of mission service were were followed by three hard-hitting seasons as a safety from 2011 through 2013. Daniel was among annual team leaders in tackles, passes broken up, and interceptions, and was a special teams specialist on punt coverage units, zeroing in on kicks and showing an amazing knack for catching and or downing punts near the opposing goal line. Undrafted in 2014, he was signed as a free agent by former Cougar Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, and he was then starting as a second season with the Chiefs organization. Waived as the 2014 NFL season got underway, Danny was re-signed to the Chiefs practice squad immediately, then was on the active roster to stay later that season. He played in nine games in 2014, all 16 regular season games in both 2015 and 2016, establishing himself as a versatile member of a very competitive and highly ranked secondary. The 2016 season saw him score his first NFL touchdown, a pick six off of Drew Brees, one of three INTs for Daniel last season. This year, Daniel has started four of five games for the Chiefs as KC's won its first five and is the only undefeated team in the NFL heading into week six. And it is my pleasure to welcome Daniel Sorensen behind the mic. Daniel, thank you for taking the time to be on the show tonight. 
Thanks for having me. You are the youngest of six kids and one of five brothers, Brad, Trevin, Cody, and Brian. And a unique thing about you guys is you all played college football at one level or another. Isn't that right? Uh, yeah, so the eldest, uh, Trevin, played his college football at UNLV, and then um, he played you know, tight end, fullback, played defensive end at the end of his career, and then um, Cody, uh, the next eldest, played uh, wide out at um, Utah after playing some junior college in Southern California, and then Brian um, played junior college uh, down in Southern California with um, my other brother, Brad, who played there before um, going, walking on at BYU, and then transferring to SUU, and then later uh, drafted by the San Diego Chargers in 2013. And so to have uh, two Sorensen brothers make the National Football League is, uh, is a pretty impressive thing for many family. We all know about uh, Brad's path to the NFL, and uh, how is he doing these days, and what is he doing? Yeah, so last year was his um, last year uh, playing, and um, since he's uh, moved on, got licensed to uh, sell life insurance and doing well with that in Utah County and stays right there um, in uh, Orem. And he's doing good. He's got uh, two little kids and got a beautiful little family. So I should mention your sister at this point. Was she athletic and, and uh, how into sports was she while you guys were doing your thing? Yeah, a lot of times she's uh, forgotten because um, she didn't play football, right? Uh, so at least that's her claim. But she was an athlete as well. She played soccer um, in high school and, and played volleyball as well. Um, but uh, didn't take it any further. She attended BYU and graduated. Danny, how much of the sport of football has been a true family affair for everyone in the Sorensen family in terms of everybody really being really connected to the sport over the years? Yeah, it's kind of how we were raised. Um, just playing ball in the backyard, um, you know, since, since I can remember... Uh, those were our family activities, and so it's been uh, a big part of, of uh, how we were raised and how we grew up, and probably a big reason why uh, we were all able to play at a you know the next level in, in college, and then obviously the NFL. But uh, it, it was a it was a you know big part of who uh, our family is. Now you're from Colton, California, which is the San Bernardino Riverside area. Were you born and raised there? Yes, my parents. We're from Provo, Utah. My dad took a job down there and raised all the kids in that area um, for 30 years. So I'm born and raised. How would you describe your path to BYU as a football player? Yeah, the recruiting process, I wouldn't say, was all that in-depth. I attended some camps um, with my cousin Justin, um, you know, during the summers and uh, was able to, you know, make some connections with the coaches. Uh, Ultimately, came down to from what I understand, um, just a highlight video of some, some plays I had in my junior year of high school. Uh, the coaches liked what I saw, and so they offered me a scholarship. Um, I attended because my cousin um, was uh, Justin, also had committed, and thought I'd uh, you know stick with family and have a friend. and um, So that's how I got to BYU. You played a season before your mission. Uh, you played in 2008, and you were playing more linebacker that year, weren't you? Yeah, due to some injuries, I was recruited as a safety, was on the depth chart as a safety, a couple um, injuries at the outside linebacker position, and I was um, asked to move and um, ended up playing 
um, some time there uh, my freshman year, along with special teams and before leaving on my mission. Mission to Costa Rica? Yes. And when you came back, you weren't linebacker size again. You were more back to normal safety size, maybe even minus a few pounds. Is that right? Yeah, I definitely lost all the weight that I put on and um, and was happy to, to transfer back to where I, you know, to the safety position. That's kind of what I had um, grown up doing and felt comfortable with. You came back to BYU and, and had a 10-win season and a couple of 8-win seasons. What are some of your fondest BYU memories or, or most memorable team accomplishments you think you had uh, as a Cougar, especially post-mission? Yeah, um, the things that stick out are, um, from the defense's perspective, some of the, the you know the games we were able to put together and play against. Um, you know, Boise State stands out. You know, we shut them out. And, you know, Georgia Tech and some of these other big, big-time schools and big venues that we got to play in and, and we got to play well at. Um, great memories. Um, I can't necessarily pick out one or two, but um, just had a wonderful time there. Not, not every player takes as much pride as you did on special teams, and not the most glamorous parts of special teams in, say, the return game or blocking a lot of kicks, but you were somebody that I could count on to go down and down the punt where it was supposed to be downed, and you became an expert at it. No, I loved it, um, and... Uh, you know, being on the defensive uh, side of the ball, you understand how important that is to pin an opponent back um, against their own goal line. Um, yeah, and I did. I did uh, along with our punter. We we had a pretty good connection, and were able to um, do it frequently, successfully. And so I, I took pride in it, and really enjoyed that part of the special teams. Daniel, you're so focused on your current professional life, and you have to be. How much do you pay attention to what's happening with BYU, and how do you feel for the guys with their current struggles uh, at, at this point in the season? Yeah, I uh, keep up with the games. I watch them, um, you know, Friday nights or Saturdays and um, get a report back to the, you know, the guys here uh, about how BYU is doing. But, um, no, it's difficult. Um, we face adversity, and every team will, and uh, it's, it's really how you you bounce back and you make changes. Sometimes a situation or or um, challenges like this lead to changes that are better in the long run. You know, you, you, you change things up, you switch up the culture, you guys buy in more, and um, and you end up being better for it. And that's what you hope uh, can come from, from this and that they can, you know, dig deep and turn it around. You know, Chiefs Nation is such a great fan base, and I know you feel the love of Chiefs fans everywhere. Do you still feel the fact that uh, BYU fans are, are connected to you and still wishing you the best and supporting you because you're still one of us? Yeah, I'm always surprised uh, running into people or, or hearing things that uh, people do keep tabs on us and, and our fans of the Chiefs, and um, I love that. That's awesome. And uh, still still Cougar at heart, still love the Cougar fans, and, and um glad to, to connect with them whenever I can. And you play for a great fan base in Kansas City, though, don't you? Those Chiefs fans are great. They're amazing. They're some of the best. You play for a head coach who was a Cougar, and he often jokes about one of the best things you had going for you was the fact that you were a BYU guy. Yeah, it's great. Um, honestly, the only thing you can ask for in the NFL is an opportunity, a door to be opened, and uh, I believe that's what I got here. And um, once that happens, then you know the rest has to come from, from uh, making the most of that opportunity. Um, but he, he's an awesome coach, wonderful guy to be around. Honestly, couldn't have picked a better spot to be in, to be here with uh, with him, to be playing for the Chiefs, for this organization. You got to them as an undrafted free agent. At one point you were waived, quickly re-signed to the practice squad, then on the active squad, and you've been active ever since. And then most recently, congratulations on signing a, a nice extension. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. And uh, honestly, that, that might be how I would have liked it anyways. 
I, I enjoy a challenge and, and to prove uh, or go against the odds and to prove things wrong. So happy to be where I'm at. Can you pick uh, one or two moments that have been career highlights for you to this point? I would automatically go to the pick six off of Drew Brees last year. Maybe you have something different. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's got to be up there as, as, as some of the best. But honestly, um, there's there's been so many. I'm having a, a home playoff game last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers, beating the Patriots uh, the opening week of this season, being mm. 5-0 and right now, being undefeated. I mean, these are just uh, unbelievable memories and, and uh, things that uh, sometimes you have to pinch yourself to believe. But um, it's just... Uh, been a wonderful ride so far. Only undefeated team in the NFL right now. You guys are on a tremendous run. You've had some injuries, and that and they put you into some different spots as well as a result. Losing good players is never good, but you want to take advantage of the opportunities you get, and you've, you've done so. How would you describe yourself, Daniel, right now positionally? Because I think of you both as a, a safety and a linebacker right now. Yeah, maybe a hybrid somewhere in between uh, the two. Um, but it has a lot to do with... Um, you know, our coaches and our scheme and, and being able to put guys in um, spots where they can make plays. And so that's that's what our coaches do a good job of, not only for myself, but for everybody. And so um, I play where, where needed, where they think I can make plays and, and uh, contribute and help the team win. So um, I move around quite a bit, do different jobs, but uh, it's, all, it's all got a purpose and a, and a reason. Last couple things for you, Daniel. What is the most important thing that an NFL player like yourself needs to be focused on day-to-day in your job? Uh, it's honestly the, all about the details. You win one game, we're on a five-game win streak. Um, there's not much time to celebrate. It's time to go back to work, to work on the little things. Um, you know, Even though we're undefeated, even though we haven't lost yet, there's things that I need to work on. There's things that the team needs to work on. And so when you go out to practice, it's all about the little details that keep yourself sharp, keep improving, and keep getting better as the season goes on. We talked about some of your career highlights a moment ago. One of the neatest things, I think, is when the Kansas City Chiefs post those little post-game locker room celebrations when a Coach Reed gets in the middle of the circle and you have that moment together. It's one of the coolest things about being in a team environment, I think, are those moments when you get to be a group and celebrate what you've just achieved, and I, 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 I get a lot out of those. They're amazing and such great memories. Last, last thing for you, Daniel, what's your current family situation? You and Whitney, children, and, and how's life going for you that way? Yeah, two kids. They keep us plenty busy. Um, got a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a nine-month-old little girl, and so... Um, between diapers and nap time and play time, it's it's um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but we're loving it. We're really enjoying life right now. You play for more than the money, but your recent extension has put you in a in a pretty secure spot, and that's a reward for your hard work and your dedication. And I hope you get to enjoy as much of this professional life as, as it will allow you to, because Cougar fans are really proud of you and excited to see what you do week to week. It's been awesome to see you uh, progress as well as you have. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Danny. Bye bye. Daniel Sorensen of the Kansas City Chiefs, our first guest on Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel tonight. We'll take a break. When we come back, the head coach of the seventh-ranked NCAA women's volleyball program, the BYU women's volleyball team ranked seven and on a roll and having been on the road for much of that role. We'll talk volleyball. Coach Heather Olmstead is in studio. We're back to Studio 2 with more Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. You are tuned in on Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel.
And welcome back inside Studio 2 for segment 2 of Behind the Mic. Well, the BYU women's volleyball program is an NCAA juggernaut. For five straight seasons, the Cougars have appeared in the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament. In one of those seasons, 2014, BYU advanced, as you know, all the way to the national championship game. In each of the last five seasons, BYU's finished the season ranked in the top 15. 12th in 2012, 13th in 2013, 3rd in 2014, 11th in 2015, and 8th last season. As of today, the program ranks 7th nationally. Presiding over this period of prosperity have been the Olmsteads. Sean, who led the program from 2011 to 2014, and Heather, who assisted her brother until taking over as the head coach in 2015, making this her third season in charge of the Cougars, who are this season playing for a fourth consecutive outright West Coast Conference championship and another deep NCAA tournament run. BYU currently leads the WCC with a 6-0 mark, tied atop the conference with Gonzaga, who visits BYU Saturday, following Portland into town. The Pilots play in Provo tomorrow night in front of what will certainly be another energized crowd at the Smith Fieldhouse. And it is my pleasure to welcome into Studio 2 and this radio show for the first time, the head coach of BYU Women's Volleyball, Heather Olmsted. Hello, Heather. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being in. And uh, all of those things uh, speak to uh, your acuity, that of Sean. The Olmsted family has been BYU Volleyball for a while now, with Sean having moved over to the men's side. Uh, how did this family affair come about? I mean, I know the background of the two of you, but to be at the same school at the same time, coaching uh, your respective programs is a really unique story. It absolutely is. We come from a family of, of volleyball. Our dad played collegiate volleyball and coached, and so we grew up in a gym. I don't know that either of us thought we were going to get into coaching. We went to school. We both played collegiate volleyball, Sean at BYU, and I played at Utah State. But I think uh, just some randomness and some good luck and good fortune brought us here. Obviously, Sean, uh, playing at BYU, it's his alma mater, um, took over and, and said, hey, do you want to come help me? This is my vision. This is, this is what I see happening, what we could do. And, and I for sure bought in. I knew what a great coach he was and the, and the talent that he had. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's try. And it was just a great experience. So let's back up to this, uh, this volleyball family you talked about. Uh, Carpinteria, California. That's a beautiful part of the country. Um, describe to folks where it is and uh, how much volleyball there was in your life growing up. Carpinteria, California is about 10 miles south of Santa Barbara. So we usually tell people we're from Santa Barbara and they know right where that is. Mm-hmm. But Carpinteria is a small little beach town. It's uh, got its own little high school. My dad was a high school teacher there. It's just gorgeous. We live about one mile from the beach. And so we were able to grow up playing sand volleyball. And our dad took us to the beach. He grew up uh, playing at East Beach. And he um, was able to coach Karch Karai at Santa Barbara High School. And so no we kidding. Just, yeah, he, co- he coached, he he coached, coached Karch at Santa That's Barbara awesome. High. And so we've just been in the gym our whole lives, mostly playing sand and then obviously playing indoor, playing sixes and, and, and then on to college. So it's, it's a cool little town if you're ever in Santa Barbara and want to look for a little surfer town, jot down to Carpinteria and, and have some, I don't know, there's some steakhouses, some fish and get some, I don't know, volleyball on the beach. Did you just love living there? Oh, absolutely. I, sometimes I'm not sure you know, why I left, but then I remember I went to go uh, you know, get an education at Utah State and play volleyball. And it was the best decision for me. And I get to go home anytime I want. My parents still live there. They'll, still stay same house still? Yeah, they'll never leave. My dad's born and raised from Carpinteria. And my mom um, also loves it there. She's uh, her, her parents live here in Provo. But I don't see them leaving. And we're like, that's good. Don't leave. We want to come home and visit. Uh, how many in the family? We've got seven, seven kids, six girls and one boy. 
So, so Sean was it. That was yeah. where did he fall in the birth order? Was Sean's he... third. I'm fourth, and uh, I have a twin sister. She's fifth, and there's two more girls under us. Now, where did Lacey fit in? Lacey's second, and she she played at BYU. She played at BYU. Yeah, yep. yeah. So um, we had four play Division One. Lacey played at BYU. Sean played at BYU. I played at Utah State, and then my twin played at BYU Hawaii for Coach Navalta. And uh, was Lacey also at BYU H before she, she came was. here? She played one year there and then came and played for Elaine. So when it was time for you uh, to make a college choice, uh, was BYU in the mix for you, vice versa? or I was not good enough to play at BYU. And I tell people that, and I'm like pretty serious about it. So I, I just wasn't good enough. I didn't but get you were recruited. So, uh, but you were so good at Utah State. Yeah, I think I just, I'm small. I'm vertically challenged. I, I grew up playing sand, so I have a knack, I feel, for the ball. But I think it's just hard to get recruited when you're undersized and, and you're kind of a utility player. And so I had a coach, Jenny Alexander, that saw something in me at Utah State and said, yeah, I, I, I believe in you. And I was like, let's go. And I went to Logan, Utah. I had never been there and absolutely loved it. I presume you would have gotten to face BYU while you played for Utah State, right? We did. What was that experience like for you? It was awesome. Uh, just obviously knowing that we didn't have as much talent as BYU, we were able to uh, beat BYU in my junior and senior years. And actually, my last career, well, not my second to last career game was in the NCAA's in 2001 when it was Elaine's last game she ever coached. We beat BYU in the first round of the NCAA tournament, 16-14 in the fifth, and that was the last game Elaine ever coached. And you were in it. Yeah, it was uh I was in it. You had a national ranking at Utah State. You went to the NCAA tournament, as we just talked about. Um, so you, um, whether you're out to prove anything to anyone, you played at a really high level and got to where you'd want to be no matter where you went to college. Absolutely. I, I just I always play with a chip on my shoulder, and I think that's how our team plays as well. I just My dad and my mom have always taught us just to work hard and to take advantage of any of your opportunities, but that you were going to have to take them when they came. And, and they told us at a very young age that we had to find our own way to college financially. They just couldn't support seven kids in college and so we knew that up front right away and so we each had to find our way whether it was a scholarship athletically or academically and I feel like that's that's helped me just work hard any position I've been in and to earn really what I got. I'm going to go back a little bit when you mentioned Karch it kind of took me off on a side note uh do you know him well? I do. And I uh, I think you know, I even as soon as I was a young kid tween, teenager and stuff as soon as I became acquainted with uh, U.S. volleyball and and the men's program, whether beach or otherwise, like he was the guy, and he became this kind of this mythical figure. Um, he still kind of maintains that quality. He's still kind of like the guy, isn't he? Absolutely. I think you know I worked with USA the past two summers. So I went to the Dominican Republic, worked with them, and then I was in the Pan Am Games. He he wasn't there, but we were able to coach his team because he was coaching another team. So I've worked with him, and the girls that play for him on the national team, like you can just tell in practice, he's they're kind of in awe when he's coaching them, and it's like, hey, snap out of it. It's Karch, <laughs> he's your coach, but you gotta so. I, they, they, he does have that, just that you watch him, you listen, you talk with him, and you're just in awe because he's so smart. He understands the game so well. He pays attention to detail, and he's a great communicator. So it's he's an unbelievably good coach. He's probably always going to look about 10 to 15 years younger than he really is, too. Yeah, he does. He, he, he definitely stays in shape, and he gets out on the court and plays with the girls in the national team gym, and it, it, he's still got all the skills. Uh, beach versus, um, versus court. Uh, where do you come down in terms of what either requires uh, more skill or what's more enjoyable what was where would you come on that playing beach volleyball develops your all-around game you've got two people on the court so you've got to be able to be able to do a first contact touch a pass you got to be able to set if uh, you got to be able to serve and attack and so it's just an all-encompassing game whereas when you play indoor with sixes you can kind of specialize I'm going to play middle I'm going to play outside maybe I don't pass 
So the beach is, is, is actually a totally different game, although volleyball is volleyball. They're, they're played differently, and it takes different skill sets to play them. Not every player you're going to recruit will have had some sand background on, but when you find a girl that's done beach or that's part of her, do you, do you immediately go, ah, there's something about this one i got to look at? I mean, do you think that way? Or? Absolutely. We can tell a kid that's played sand or played beach. They read the game really well. They kind of are one or two steps ahead of other players. They read the hitters really well, see where they're going to serve and attack. And So, yeah, you can definitely tell the kids that either have grown up or have played a lot of beach, and I think it's helpful for your indoor game. WCC is now a beach league, right? They are. Uh, BYU doesn't have a program yet. Uh, is that something you think would uh, be something the school looks into down the line? I do think that the administration is going to look into it and see what the benefits are of, of adding that sport and competing in the West Coast Conference. I think if they choose to go that route, you know, BYU is going to do it right. And I know that, they, that there's some talks about that, um, different sports being added. So um, we'll just see how that plays out. Season-wise, how does it work uh, with the women? Beach-wise? Beach is in their finals is in the first weekend of May, the Final Four in Alabama. So they start maybe in March, April, May. So it's a three-month, a little shorter. Um, and it's, you know, after after the winter has passed. But most of the schools that are playing it are, aren't really in the, yeah. the snow. I honestly don't know this. So I'm a, it's a curiosity. With a program, WCC or otherwise, that has both beach and court, does the same staff navigate to both? Or do they do separate staffs and say we're a different deal? Depends on the university. The, the high-level beach Schools that are winning the national championship, they have separate staffs and separate players. So that's what you're seeing the trend going to. The, the, the ones that are going to win a national championship are going to have totally separate staffs and separate players. Okay. Uh, backtracking to you, you're, you finish your, your career as, as an Aggie right around the time that Sean's starting to play now for BYU. But by that time, you're off doing your own thing, right? Yeah, I got into coaching. I went and played, graduated in 02, went and played in Croatia. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Wanted to get away, play pro. So I did that. And when I came back in 2003, a position was open at Utah State, and the coach that was there my senior year said, do you want to coach? And I said, no. And he said, are you sure? And I said, I, don't, I didn't get a degree in coaching. I never really thought of myself as a coach. He convinced me, and from there, the rest is history. The Aggies made the tournament when you were a player. Yep. Aggies made the tournament when you were an assistant coach, and then you went to Utah and again, it's more NCAA tournaments. You've always felt that that's where you need to be or your program needs to be no matter what your program. Yeah, I feel like if we're going to get in the gym and work hard, then we want to see some rewards. And that should be the end goal is we want to see how good this team, whatever year it is, can be. And if we're being as good as we can in practice, then that's going to result in good results, which hopefully ends up in an NCAA tournament berth. You mentioned playing overseas. I don't think folks here have enough of an understanding of just how big volleyball is, especially in Europe. Huge. How much money can be made, how many careers can be made uh, on, on the court. Yeah, it's unfortunate that there's no professional league in the United States. So a lot of the girls that they see coming into the Smithfield house that are really good, Alexa Gray's in Italy. She was in Korea last year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's huge. It's unbelievably big, and it's such a good experience to go overseas and, and see different part of the world and then obviously make some money playing volleyball. Um, and I like to see our girls go and play professional and, and just flourish there. We have a couple girls, hopefully, that will will go play pro after they're done on our team now. Whether as a player or a coach, you've had international experience. Uh, is it something you've wanted to either pursue pursue or, or get involved with at the national team level uh, should the cards fall right? I had never really looked too far past the present. So when those opportunities came up, when Karch called me, yeah. they were too good to pass up and and – 
actually the opportunity came when I was an assistant for Sean. I committed to Karch in January, and then in June the switch happened, and the tournament was in July. So I was committing as an assistant, but now it's been a good experience to go for two summers knowing kind of how Karch works, how he runs his program. I think the more I can learn from anyone, so say USA, the better BYU is going to be. You talk about the switch happening. The switch was interesting because it followed closely on the heels of the national championship game. It wasn't too long after that that, that we were making the change, right? Correct. It was you know December we went to the finals, and in June, I believe, is, is when Sean took the men's job. Did you see it coming? I actually did not. I was very surprised. Uh, I understood and uh, very supportive of what Sean and his family wanted to do. Uh, I was there. I came to BYU. To, to work with Sean, I believed in his vision, and things change over time. I don't think that was anything anyone could have planned because no one knew that Chris was going to resign and, mm-hmm. and that was going to be available. So there's no way to predict the future, but I absolutely was supportive of what he felt like he needed and wanted to do, and we just went from there. What do your other siblings do uh, that aren't in the coaching world? I've got an older sister. She lives in Syracuse with four kids. Her husband uh, works in the government. And then Lacey, her husband's a doctor. They live in Highland. And she's got six kids. And Sean, uh, he's got four kids. And I have a sister, Carol Lee. She's right below me. And her husband's in sales. And she's got five kids. And then I have a little sister, the youngest. And she's got one kid and lives in Pleasant Grove. So almost everybody's here. Yeah. Was there ever any chance that any of these other siblings were going to take the coaching path that you guys, that you and Sean have taken to this point? I don't think so. My twin sister, maybe, she got into political science and ended up doing some law work. Again, I don't know that Sean and I would have predicted. Sean was going to be a high school teach Spanish teacher, and he went and volunteered or did his student teaching at Pleasant Grove and decided he didn't like it. So I don't think either of us thought, hmm. and I don't know why we didn't with our dad being a coach, but I wanted to be a therapist um, in some capacity and, and just, I guess, coaching just – it's like therapy, so I guess – I'm good. Could you have been? A, could you have been an assistant coach with any of your siblings, or was Sean the guy that, that you, you you saw that working because of who he is and who you are? I think I could have. I think it's just such a neat opportunity to work with your family and to be able to bounce ideas off each other, and to be able to you know I was really just wanting to support Sean and, and his vision and what he wanted to do. So I was just trying to give him my feedback and and what I thought, and then just kind of take his lead. And he had been such a good player, obviously winning a couple national championships and and doing a good job there and so I knew he knew what he was doing and he he'd played at BYU and I think that's a big hurdle also I didn't play here I didn't go here so coming to BYU was totally different for me totally different you say as a player you weren't good enough to play for BYU but we know you're quite quite good did you have any I say bitterness uh, any weird feelings about BYU coming to because you went Aggies Utes and then BYU was it at all weird to come to a place that maybe you would have wanted to play at someday and didn't no, I always respect Elaine Michaelis. I mean, even as a player, I would I would go say hi because she coached my sister and I grew up seeing them play. So I'd always respected Elaine and her teams. Um, I know a lot of the girls played against Sonny, um, Lauren Richards. I just I love those girls that I played against, even though we were competitive against each other. So I, I didn't have any ill feelings, and um, I just I, I would say no. I think it was just a good opportunity to, to come here and just get better at coaching. And now that you're here, does it feel like home to you? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think. BYU, there's no place like BYU. And so I'm going to sell every recruit that there's there's no place. If this is what you're looking for uh, with the priorities um, and the spiritual and the athletics, the academics and the social, there's just no other place but BYU. It comes up short in 2014, but how much does that championship run um, still drive you uh, having had a taste of it? 
our program goals, and our girls know it, is to win a national championship. So we don't know when that's going to be, but we all believe, the girls on the team and our future recruits, that one day we're going to win a national championship. And it's going to be so cool. And it's going to be all the work from the teams before that, that laid down it for us. And that's what we want. And so, again, we don't know when it's going to come, but we believe it's going to come. And it's going to be awesome. The round of 16 is no hurdle. I mean, just getting to the 16 is remarkable. To do it five years in a row, as you and Sean have done, is something else. Uh, but getting to that next weekend, I guess, would be the, you know, the, the most immediate goal, right? I think it is. It's, it's really hard to get to the Sweet 16. Yeah. So we just take it one game at a time. So getting past the first round is super hard. And Princeton was no slouch. They were really tough. The, our, our matches went into the 20s or the sets with them and, and then UNLV the next round. So we're, we're just trying to take it one match at a time when we get there. And obviously we want to get there first. And so we don't try to think too far ahead You know, as far as those goals. Again, our goal is to see how good this 2017 team can be. And wherever that takes us, so be it. If we work hard, it'll take care of itself. Now, you're 17-1 and one and ranked number 7, so you have some sense of how good this team is right now. Uh, this is a fifth consecutive WCC championship you're chasing, correct? And you're tied with Gonzaga, who comes into your place this weekend. And you told me before the interview... Uh, Gonzaga is two games away, so next yep. up is Portland, yep. and that's tomorrow night. But it is a good uh, it's it's a good statement weekend to find out which of the two of you, you and Gonzaga, once we get there to Saturday, is going to find themselves uh, on top at the end of the weekend. Yeah, Portland is first up, and they're very good. They have a good coaching staff with good players, and they are going to give us all we can handle Thursday. So we're we're focused on Portland and seeing how good we can we can be, and then we'll turn our attention to Gonzaga. But they'll have a tough test before that Thursday against San Diego. And this travel partner setup, so they'll be on the road for two games this weekend. You're home for the two, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of on the road, um, it's a remarkable thing that 13 of your last 15 games have been played away from home, either on true away courts or in neutral venues at tournaments. 13 of 15 away from the field house, that's a punishing schedule. To be 17 and 1 where you are, right? I hope people realize, and the people who rank realize, that that's, that, that that's not a normal thing to spend that much time away from home. Is it bad that I didn't know that till you told me that? <laughs> it just means you're focused. I think it means I'm comfortable on the road and it's more like home. But um, it, the girls have done an absolute, the team, absolutely amazing job as well as our coaching staff to prepare the girls to do that. It, it's not easy. And it is they're a testament to the, how focused they are, how much they pay attention to detail academically and athletically. And who scheduled that anyways? I don't know. <laughs> Who's in charge of that? I don't know. But I just I think that if you want to be great and you want to win a championship, you got to do it on the road and you, at home as well. you got to take care of business. But this team understands it. We've got the culture to where the older kids understand that you've got to be great on the road. And so it's nice to go into somebody else's gym and play well. And, and maybe it's not your best, but it's good enough to win. And it's just it's it's a confidence builder for our team. So it's, it's worked out. Uh, we're looking forward to to being at home, uh, but I'm really proud of the way the team has focused on the road and not made it a big deal. It's not a, it's not a big deal. We can take our game on the road with us. And the great thing about when you take your game on the road with you is that you find BYU fans in pretty much every gym you enter, which is awesome. And I'm sure some teams just look around like, what's happening here? Absolutely. I mean, every West Coast Conference gym that we go into has tons of BYU fans that we appreciate showing up. And then, of course, at home, Cougar Nation shows up. And it's just so, I mean, our last couple of matches, thinking back to Weber State was unbelievably well attended and then Pepperdine too. It was just so nice to play in front of our fans. You're going to play in front of thousands of fans tomorrow night and then a couple hundred yards away from you, the soccer team's going to be doing what it does at Southfield. On any given night when those two teams are playing, you've got thousands of people in the stands where most schools are getting hundreds. 
yeah, I think we we should feel uh, our student athletes should feel I don't know blessed, but just feel that this is awesome that people want to come out and see and be entertained and um, that they're going to be be there for us. And I know they're excited, our fans, for us to, to be back in the Smithfield house. And then what soccer does is unbelievable. Jen does a great job drawing thousands of people to their game. And so um, whether they come out to our game or her game, I mean, it's going to be rocking on campus on Thursday night. Or go back and forth tomorrow night. Catch, yeah, catch a bit of each. Yeah, it's not too far away. Uh, All-Americans every year. Uh, as long as Sean and you have been together, you've had All-American. And it, it takes talent to, win what you're do- to do what you're doing, clearly. Uh, the value of standout players the value of one or two or three on a given team just to the next level all-american type talent do you need that to be where you want to go i think um you know the strength of our team is always going to be our team it's nice to have you know a a jen and an alexa but uh you know you need kids to pass the ball to set the ball dig the ball to help those kids do what they want to do so i think it's it's absolutely something that we're looking for on the recruiting trail is kids that can take us to that next level um but we feel like we have a really good pool of recruits that we have a lot of options and and a lot of lds kids want to come to byu and and want to help us win a national championship heading down the stretch here in the wcc clearly at the top you've got you and gonzaga um the depth of the league uh will it let you do what you want to do and make you tough enough i guess for the postseason Absolutely. Our West Coast Conference is every, it's a grind every night. You, you have to be prepared. As we found out Thursday against St. Mary's, uh, you can't took take you to, it. Took you to five. Yeah, we were down 0-2 and we were really struggling and we, we didn't have uh, much time left and our girls pulled it together and, and believed the whole time and, and things started to turn and fall our way and, and we pulled it out. Every night you got to be ready. You can't take a night off. Or you're gonna get you're gonna get caught, and that includes being at home. and And our team knows that, but that's why we schedule the way we do in preseason. We scheduled Ohio State, Utah, Missouri, Boise State, Hawaii. Um, they won their conference last year. Those teams, and and those teams are gonna help prep us for the NCAA tournament. Okay, the strength of your team will be the team. But let's shout out a couple of players who you think have really stood out for you, and will be um, people you're really leaning on here down the stretch. Yeah, um, you know we've got great play coming from. Veronica Jones Perry and she's a junior and she's getting a bunch of kills for us and so it's nice to see her game developing um, she's working hard every day she had an unbelievable good offseason in summer and came in played with USA um, and her game is just always developing and, and she's evolving so that's nice we've got great offensive leadership from Lindy Haddock and Alohi who are setting the ball nice and, and giving us opportunities to take good swings and we've got some middles that are shining that haven't played for us before in Cozy Burnett and Kennedy Redding. Um, we've got McKenna Miller, who was the freshman of the year, who's playing well, and uh, Taylor Ballard on the right side right now. I don't know. Who do you want to talk about? Mary Lake? Mary Lake special. Yeah. Uh, don't you think? Mary Lake. Yeah. Um, she is what I like to say the heart and soul of our team. Yeah. She, she brings it every day. She never has an off day. She's incredible in the energy department and she's a really good volleyball player so she's always ready for a fight and she she wants to be great and so she's holding down our passing and our defense and then she gets the other kids going to play scrappy defense and so as her being a sophomore we count on her to do a lot as a leader on and off the court already and she's doing a remarkable job and you and you get to look into the future a little bit and realize that that she's going to be with you a while which is great yeah because what's exciting about that greg is just how much better she can get 
and she wants to keep getting better. And that's all her focus is, is what can I do? Stay in the present and get better today. And things just work out. California kid, right? Yeah. She's from Palm Springs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's she's just loving it. So we're glad she's here. And she knew pretty early she wanted to be at BYU. Her sister played here. Family's great supporters of BYU. And so she is, you know, the epitome of just a BYU student athlete. She loves it. She eats it up every day. She represents very well. BYU, home to Portland tomorrow night, home to Gonzaga, what might be a first-place showdown on Saturday night. And again, eight of the final 12 matches for BYU are at home. It's a reward for the last seven weeks when they played just two home matches. You had to know you were giving yourselves a, a, you had to know you were giving your team a nice uh, a, a, t- a test on the road this year. You had to know that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we realize um, with the way the NCAAs are, are heading where the highest seeds left are going to be hosting regionals, you're going to go play if you get to the Sweet 16 in somebody's home home court. That's the, the top seeds that are left get a host. Yeah. We, we experienced that at Texas last year. Mm-hmm. And so unless we're a top four, five, six seed, which is really hard to do, um, you're going to go have to beat somebody on their home court. And so we've, we've got that confidence that we can play well on the road. It's going to serve us well. Well, good luck tomorrow night and uh, this weekend and down the stretch. And uh, thanks for coming in and uh, talking with me the last little while. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. You bet. That's Heather Olmstead, head coach of BYU Women's Volleyball, joining us behind the mic. Coming up after this break, back to the NFL as joining us from Miami, Florida, John Denny, the former Cougar and Miami Dolphin long snapper is with us to wrap up tonight's show and this week's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We're on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio, also on the BYU Radio app, and you can tune us in at byuradio.org. Catch us on demand via the Behind the Mic podcast. John Denny is next, right after this. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Three names. Dan Marino, Jason Taylor, John Denny. Now, most NFL fans know Marino and Taylor as two legendary Miami Dolphins, but they are also the only two Dolphins who've played more games in a Miami uniform than John Denny, who this Sunday will suit up in the Aquamarine for the 197th time, leaving him all alone in third place among the all-time Dolphin greats in games played. If he plays in every game this season, only Dan Marino will stand above John Denny in Dolphins games played. A native of Thornton, Colorado, John was the second of three Denny brothers to play for the Cougars, following Ryan and preceding Brett. Ryan also played in the NFL, as you know, for nine seasons. As a Cougar, John was a defensive end and long snapper, the position at which he's made his name as a professional. While at BYU from 2002 through 2004, John was a starting defensive end and racked up 18 and a half tackles for loss, including eight sacks, along with multiple pass breakups and picks. An undrafted free agent signing of the Miami Dolphins in 2005, Denny won a spot on the team and has never given it up since. A long snapper has never been voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame at that position. But if anyone ever deserved that honor, it is my next guest. And this interview segment is brought to you by... BYU Alumni. It's called Catching Up with the Cougars, sponsored by BYU Alumni. Connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And so it is. I welcome in John Denny, behind the mic, here on BYU Radio. Hello, John. 
Hello. How you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for calling in tonight uh, from Miami. We appreciate you uh, joining us. And I guess it's appropriate that uh, a long snapper might uh, reach a milestone for longevity. Does that surprise you when, when you learn that uh, you've got that many games under your belt and only a guy like Dan Marino and Jason Taylor's ahead of you? No, it's, def- it's definitely crazy to be put in the same uh, company with those names. It's not something I really, you know, it's kind of, I guess, hard to grasp still. I'm still, still young. I still feel like I just got here, and I'm uh, <laughs> still trying to get better. How old are you now, by the way? I'm 38. 38. Has the length of your NFL career, uh, I'm not sure if, if surprised is the right word, but uh, it's a business where, where coaches come and go and players come and go and guys get hurt, and the career is generally pretty short, and here you are uh, you know, 12, 13 seasons in. Uh, do you, Every year just kind of go out, here we go again. Yeah, I mean, you really just do take it one year at a time. Um, the, the nature of my position definitely helps, like you mentioned. I mean, long snappers aren't in the trenches every down taking a beating. So uh, there's definitely the potential to uh, to have longevity in this career. But still, there's a lot of other factors that take place. Like you said, coaching changes, you know, uh, injuries, things like that, you know, hard to control. And, you know, even though you say, you know, you're not going to have as much punishment as other teams still bring in long snappers to challenge you. I mean, you have not just had this thing, uh, uh, you know, to yourself without anybody coming in to do that job. You've had people come in and, and, and had to beat people out, right? Yeah. I mean, there you got to understand the business and you, you can't be thin skinned. And you always, I mean, realistically, from their perspective, I can't blame them. You know, you got a 38 year old guy. Uh, they got to look towards the future at some point. So it's just logical that, you know, they're trying to find that next guy that, that they can start working into the system. I mentioned Thornton, Colorado. Uh, is that what you consider? Like, were you born and raised there or, or did you move there later in life or, or what, what, you know, where were you uh, raised? Yeah, no, that, that's uh, my, my hometown. That's where I was born and raised. That's all my childhood would have spent in uh, Thornton. And, and As a not- matter of fact, my parents, my parents just moved um, last month. Where'd they, they go? They finally up up and left, and they are in Zion, the promised land. They're over there in uh, Alpine. So who else is here in Utah of, of your family? <laughs> my bro- uh, my older brother is in uh, Alpine as well, and uh, my sister is in, uh, not Murray. She's, uh, I should know this, over in that area. On Somewhere the, on in the Utah. North of the peak. Okay. Yeah. All right, Sandy. Salt Lake and North of Provo. Okay, Sandy. Sandy. Okay, there we go. I guessed it. There you go. There you uh, go. How about uh, you? Where's your off-season home? We're all based here in South Florida. So, you, so you're, you're, you're there year-round. You, you don't move anywhere. I don't. A lot of players do have, like, a secondary home that they go to in the off-season. Yeah. Um, we got down here, and, and we definitely didn't expect to be here this long, and my wife and I always thought, you know, hey, we'll go in get what we can and uh we'll be moving back west she's from arizona i grew up in colorado we met in uh, utah so that was always the plan and then all of a sudden 13 years later five kids later this is all they know this is their home for so for them to think you know we would go back home that doesn't make sense to them and and they've they've been rooted in there in schools and come the off season you know they got football they got music they got school i mean they got all those things going on and so we really going anywhere else is, is hard to do but I guess if you have to pick a place to put down roots for the long term, uh, South Florida's not too bad, right? It's not. It's, it's definitely, of all the geographical locations we could have ended up in the league, um, this is definitely not, not a bad place to be. Um, the, the only downside is we have no family out here, and that's kind of what we miss, yeah. um, being around you know, the, the siblings, the cousins, and 
they they get to hang around a couple times a year during the off season when we have a chance to go back. But uh, we'd you know like to be able to spend more time near our families if possible. How did you guys ride out the storm last week? Uh, last month, we uh, actually turned into a, a vacation uh, for us. The uh, our owner was nice enough uh, last second because you're kind of tracking the storm and you can't tell where it's going to go and they, they realized how close it was going to be and basically it would make it real hard for us to practice and prepare for the next week and so they had to make the decision to move the entire team and the, and the training out to California. Our next game was against San Diego. I'm sorry the, the now uh, LA, LA Chargers. Chargers so, yeah. so they moved the entire uh, team out to there for a week and they also invited the families anyone that was left back that hadn't evacuated yet um they had a plane and everyone boarded up and uh what seemed to be a way we were going to spend our, our bye week because they had canceled our first game because of the storm we thought we'd be sitting in the house waiting for the storm to blow over we ended up going out to california and uh hanging out on the beach took the kids surfing uh met up with family had a good time actually so all seven of you took off then right just left yeah, all seven of us wow. on the uh, on the team charter and uh, out to L.A. or just outside of L.A. So I, I mentioned, um, by the way, property wise, uh, when you got back, everything that you owned was was in decent shape, or was it a little worse for wear, or how was it? Yeah, we didn't suffer too much damage. Um, most of it was just landscaping. Uh, a lot of trees were down, uh, branches broken off, um, debris, uh, you know, strewn everywhere. Um, nothing major. So yeah, we. Uh, yeah, some minor flooding, but but nothing, nothing major, luckily. So you met, yeah, you mentioned uh, family coming to Utah. I think the last time I saw you in person might have been at uh, a BYU basketball fathers and sons camp that you came out to. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember we were yeah. up there in the uh, Q and A inside the football team room. That was a good time. So uh, you do have still ties to Utah, the area, and uh, ties to BYU never go away. As you see what the guys are going through right now, they're one and five. It's a rough start to the year for them. Um, what are your thoughts, and how closely do you do you still follow what happens here at BYU? I, I do follow. Um, Unfortunately, when they're playing games, it's usually past my bedtime. So uh, I, I catch, you know, the first quarter or two um, if I can, and then the rest is recorded. But unfortunately, when you find out the result... <laughs> you don't want to go back um, and watch it. <laughs> it's really, yeah, exactly. There's uh, not a whole lot of motivation to go back and watch that. So, um, but, uh, but I do follow, and it's tough. Um, you know, it, it, you can't get discouraged. The guys just got to focus on what they can control. Um you know, whether it be their preparation, um, you know, limiting distractions and, and just being prepared. You know, I think the guys have the talent. Um, they just got to find a way to put together, uh, stay focused and, and, you know, find a way to click. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective. You, you know, you, you've fashioned a 13-year NFL career here, but in your BYU seasons in which you played, you weren't playing in bowl games, and those were some of the years that uh, were, were, were tough for the players uh, from 2002 to 2004. So from your perspective, you can appreciate what some of these guys are going through right now, can't you? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I, uh, I got a whole career full of uh, losses, both collegiate and professional. <laughs> But it is a rare thing for a BYU guy to say, "Yeah, well, you know, bowl thing, a bowl didn't happen for me, for example, as a play, as an active player." And and no. it, th- th- those had to be lessons that 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 in in some way you learned from and still hopefully serve you. I would hope. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't focus on the negative. You just got to keep looking forward towards the uh, the next week. 
And BYU's tradition is such that uh, people always expect a certain level or a certain standard. And I hope folks never take for granted the fact that, you know, they, they've, say, you know, qualified for 12 straight bowl games, for example. That's not easily done at any level. And it's a rough patch right now. But I hope fans uh, keep their heads up, as the players do, and, and ride this thing out. Yeah, now you got to hang in there. Keep supporting the jo- uh, Fairweather fans. John, uh, if, I, if you had to name all of your Dolphins head coaches and position coaches, would that take a little doing, or could that, could that happen like off the top of your head? Um, yeah, I could do it. I started off with Nick Saban for two years. Let's just, let's just start there for a second. Ha- hang on. So Nick Saban was your first he- head coach with the Dolphins. Um, people, yeah. people, a lot of fans just know him now as what he is at Alabama. What was it like to, right. co- to play under him and your, like he was your first guy? Yeah, he was. I mean, what you see is what you get. He was he was very similar to what, you know, people see him as a head coach at, at Alabama. And uh, you, you had to earn his respect, and, and the veterans, you know, they, they got that respect, and the rookies had to earn it. I was a rookie, and so uh, <laughs> I didn't, not a whole lot was uh, was spoken between him and I during <laughs> my, my time there. But I do have to credit him. I mean, he was, he was the coach there, and I came in, and I was fighting for a spot, and uh, – you know, I got a place in my heart for him because he's the reason I got my foot in the door at the NFL. Okay, so after Saban? Um, Joe Philbin came in for one season, and uh, that was the year we, unfortunately, we ended up going 1-15. and um, And that only lasted a year, and then next up was uh, Sperano, Tony Sperano. Cam Cameron in the mix? Um, yep. Followed up by, uh, I'm sorry, Cam Cameron was third, so you got me back there. So Cam Cameron was third. That's when we went one in fifteen. Then, then, then Sperano, then, yeah. then Joe, Phil, then Joe Philbin was after Sperano, and then that brought us to currently with uh, Adam Gase, with Coach Gase. Uh, John Beck was yeah. with you for a while down there, right? Yeah, that was fun. We, we had some good times. I, I really wish that would have worked out better for him. He, uh, I mean, it's it's really a lot about time and place. There's a lot of guys out there with a lot of talent that can that can do what NFL players are doing and if you're not in the right place at the right time which I think Beck kind of got some of that you know he was in a tough situation he got thrown into the fire um you know his rookie year the, the season wasn't going well that's when we went one to 15 mm-hmm. and then you know people start you know reaching for solutions and he gets thrown in and you know he he, he just it just was a bad situation and uh I, I wish he would have had a, a different you know start into the league and opportunity because we had we had good times. I wish he was still here. We had fun yeah. together. Had him on the show. I had him on the show here just a, a few weeks back. As a matter of fact. So, how do you keep your job every year? If you, I, I know you're probably a little bit modest about it, but when it comes right down to it, how do you do it? How are you the guy every year? Um, I mean, the long like the long snapping position is one where, you know, you do your job, keep your mouth shut, you uh, you can kind of just fly under the radar. And then, uh, you know, they really don't want to worry about that position. And if, you, if you're doing a good job, then, you know, it's there's not a whole lot of, you know, there's nothing else to worry about. You just focus on what you can control. I mean, you work as hard as you can in the off season. Um, you sharpen your craft as much as you can. And, and what happens is going to happen, and you can't be disappointed. I mean, at least for me, you know, I know that if I do everything I can within my power in the off season to maintain my job, that, you know, I can't be disappointed with the result either way. And it also helps to uh, have been with, the same coach, special teams wise, for as long as I have. So we've developed a relationship, and um, they know what I can bring to the table and what attributes I have, and they know what they're going to get with me. 
How long is with my with my current uh, special teams coach Darren Rizzi for at least eight, mm. Mm, about eight years? I'll say eight or so, nine. So most of your years are with one special teams coach. That's uh, that's probably pretty important yeah. in this whole thing. Okay, yeah. uh, 196 games, uh, 13th season. How many bad snaps have you had in a game? You know, I, I don't recall that I've had any bad snaps. I, uh, <laughs> anytime I get this question, I say it's like the atonement, right? You repent about those things and uh, they remember no more. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going. I'm not going to get the answer on this one. Um, uh, like I said before, I don't focus on the negative if there is any. Well, because from what I what I what I read is that your accuracy rate is such that there may not really be many to talk about, let alone not wanting to talk about them. Um, and I'm sure you pride yourself on on not being the guy they have to talk about. But uh, I, I think it's I'll, rem- I'll give you I'll give you one. I mean, I'll give you one little piece of uh, of history. My, it was my rookie year. We were in Buffalo. It was early in the season, first or second game. Um, so I'm, I'm playing against my brother. And uh, I had a low ball uh, that, uh, you know, took a bounce off the ground. And that's kind of why I give credit to, to Nick Saban because, you know, it could have been really easy for him to be like, all right, this guy's not working. Let's move on. Let's find somebody else. Um, and when, you know, he was posed that question come media time that next week, he, you know, he stuck his neck out for me. And uh, he said, just give the guy time. If you, if you see what I saw, you, you wouldn't be questioning me hmm. right now. So. That's 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 one, and uh, you know you, your coach stands behind you like that, and you get your confidence built up, and you get some experience in your belt, and those things are, are few and farther between. Well, the, <laughs> well, they they call John Mister Automatic down there for a reason, and when the time comes, I'm going to be a one man crusade to get this long snapper into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I have no influence whatsoever, but uh, it would be a great <laughs> it would be a great thing to see that, and, and I, because I'm told uh, it's never, it's never, there's never been a guy go in at that position, and it's so important the position. Yeah. And um, anyway, you'll be my guy, John. Thanks for coming on tonight Thank and uh, calling in from Miami and spending a few minutes with us. Uh, BYU fans know you're out there and are proud of you all these many years since you left BYU. And again, appreciation to you and all the best to you and, and the Denny clan. Thanks. Thanks, you. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been good to touch uh, base with the Pro Bowl and BYU crowd again. Thanks, John. Have a great night. You too. All right. That's John Denny from Miami, Florida. Dolphins long snapper John Denny this weekend plays his 197th game for the Dolphins. What a career. Hey, thanks to our guests tonight. Uh, Daniel Sorensen of the Kansas City Chiefs, Heather Olmstead of BYU Women's Volleyball, and John Denny of the Miami Dolphins. This has been Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. Talk to you next Wednesday. Good night.